name is Nicole. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Paula. If you have not already and are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we do pray once again here this morning that you would speak to us through your scriptures, that we would be attentive to the very voice of God through the Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate for us the very words of scripture and help them to understand what they mean for our lives about who we are and how you have called us to be and to live in this world. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning, New Life Downtown. And hello to everybody who's watching online. Again, we love you. We miss you. Hope that you are doing well. When I was in high school, I worked at my local grocery store in my little town in northern Iowa, Bill's Super Fair Foods. Yeah. And by the time my senior year came around, I had worked my way from stocking shelves to running the cashier. Yeah, the cash register. I thought I'd made it. I no longer had to spend Iowa winters back stocking milk in the dairy cooler or spend Iowa summers cleaning out the trash cans in the produce department from all the rotten fruits and vegetables and those things, I could stand at the front of the store and just swipe and take cash. It's like, this is gonna be great. But I failed to consider one thing. People. 
I, I was going to have to stand there all night and talk to every single customer. And what that meant in my small town was that I was going to have the same conversation over and over and over and over again for hours. Because being in a small town, the whole life of the town revolved around the high school. So everybody knew that this was my last year. So that meant they wanted to just talk to me about two things. One was the game. The game that we just lost or the game they were going to lose like later on that week because we didn't win very many of them. So those were depressing conversations. Or they wanted to talk about my future, <laughs> right? That question of like, what are you going to do after school? Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to study? And that was a particularly awkward conversation for me because people would say, where are you going to school? And I would say, I'm going to Oral Roberts University. And they would say, oh, dentistry? No, it's, it's a Christian school in Oklahoma, and I'm going to study ministry. And then they would go back to talking about the game <laughs> that we'd already covered in depth. But there is something really unique about those conversations in our life. When we're 17, 18, and 19, those questions about where we're going to go to school and what we're going to do, they hit us differently. When we're kids, there's something really fun about that conversation. What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I wanted to pitch for the Minnesota Twins and then realize you had to throw faster than 70 miles an hour in order to do that. It's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And there's an excitement and there's a dream and there's an adventure. But then when you're a senior in high school, 17, 18, and 19, those conversations take place in a pressure cooker. Like, ah, uh, I actually have to decide something now. And at the time, you feel like you have to decide everything. You have to decide your whole life, not realizing that those things shift and change quite a bit. There's an excitement about it, but there's also a sense of terror. And there's this thing that bubbles up inside of us, this desire to be significant, this desire to do something meaningful with our lives. That at that point, we're making decisions about how we're going to contribute to society and thinking about what that might be, and then wondering whether or not we have what it takes feeling some sense of excitement and desire and hope, and also feeling some doubt and insecurity, even our own ability to follow through with the things that maybe we feel that God has put on our hearts. This first three months of 2023, we are devoting to Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's chapters five and six and seven. And we said last week that the sermon really is Jesus's manifesto on kingdom discipleship. What Jesus is talking about is what does it mean to be a disciple inside the kingdom of God? In the previous cha chapter, Jesus launches his public ministry doing two primary things, announcing the arrival and the availability of God's kingdom, saying that this is good news for everyone, and then inviting people to be his disciples. He says, come and follow me and learn how to live as a child." Learn how to live as a citizen within God's kingdom. Learn how to live my kind of life. And so the entire sermon gets understood within that framework, within the framework of kingdom and discipleship. Jesus then opens the sermon proclaiming God's favor has come for everyone in every situation. 
that God's favor, God's blessing, God's kingdom has come to everyone in every situation, not because every situation and every condition is in itself blessed, but because the kingdom is available to all of us, especially in our lack, in our need, in our places of wants, in our places of hopelessness, in our places of vulnerability, in the places where we don't feel like we're enough. And then Jesus tells this small group of misfits gathered around him on this hillside next to the Sea of Galilee, this group of people that have left fishing boats, this group of people who've been healed from all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, this group of people who's had demons cast out of them, this small group on the edge of the Roman Empire, he says to them, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is yours. He says to them, you belong, you belong. And he's still saying it to us a group of misfits in the old high school in Colorado Springs. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom belongs to you and you belong to the kingdom. You have home here. And then he goes on from there and continues to say the most astounding thing. He then dignifies that group of people, dignifies us with a holy vocation with a global mission, with a life of meaning and purpose and significance. Jesus says, not only is the kingdom coming to you, not only is the kingdom coming to you, but the kingdom is going to work through you. The kingdom is actually going to work itself out into the world through your ordinary everyday life. You belong to the kingdom and you have meaning and significance and purpose and value in the kingdom. You matter to what it is that Jesus has come to do and to accomplish in the world. And he illustrates this using two images from their everyday lives, two images that actually their entire life really in some capacity depended upon. He looks at this group of people and he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Not you are the salt of this place and the light of this place, but you are the salt of the whole earth and the light of the whole world. And for them, they immediately would have begun to think about, okay, what about salt and light? What is Jesus wanting us to pick up on here about salt and light that he's instilling this to us? Salt, of course, flavors and preserves food. It's what salt does. It adds taste to otherwise flavorless or tasteless or inedible foods in some cases. You just can't eat this and then you just like put some salt on it. It'll be fine. Unless it has mayonnaise in it, then you, there's nothing you can do to make it better. Sorry, there's just not. <laughs> the other thing salt does is it draws out moisture. It actually draws moisture out in order to prevent bacteria from growing up. So it not, doesn't just flavor the food, it, it, it protects it in some way. Salt enhances and protects. It seasons and it purifies. Light similarly does some incredible things in life. Light dispels darkness and it calms all of our fears, calms our fears about the dark. Because let's be honest, the dark's a little bit scary. But all of a sudden when there's a light, something begins to calm over us. Light illuminates reality. It warms the environment. It causes things to grow. 
It reveals and it guides. Without light, it's hard to walk. It's hard to know where you're going. For some of us, it's hard to walk when there is light, much less when there's dark. But light reveals and it guides. And so what Jesus is saying to his followers, what Jesus is saying to the church, is the church is actually supposed to be like salt in the world. That the church is meant to flavor and purify a tasteless and diseased world a tasteless and diseased culture and society. Our presence is actually meant to enhance the world around us and to even prevent evil from growing up and taking over, to actually be a preservation in the midst of things. Likewise, the church is supposed to be like the light, to reveal the truth and guide people to the truth who is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The church is supposed to illuminate and warm and enable human growth and flourishing to cause the flourishing of everything all around it, that the presence of the church should actually be a gift and a grace to everyone who comes in contact with it. But Jesus says that this mission of being salt and light in the world really depends on two things. He says this, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. Jesus says that the salt actually has to stay salty, has to maintain its distinctiveness, maintain its identity, maintain or be true to what it actually is. To be different, it has to actually hold on to that because if salt loses what makes it different, then it just becomes like dirt and sand. It becomes something that you walk on, not flavor food with. And unless, of course, you drop the food on the floor, then you have five seconds and you can add a little bit of flavor to it that way, but no more than five seconds from there. And then, you know, do a little scrape. He goes on and he says this, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket instead. That that would be really dangerous, by the way, isn't it? Like, every time I read that, I think, light in a wicker basket. Like, you're talking about open flame in Jesus' time period, and then a wicker basket. This is like Christmas Eve services. It's just going to be dangerous in some capacity. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it shines for all to see in the house. It shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things that you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. See, light for it to be all that it's meant to be has to be visible. Light has to be seen. If light's hidden or its path is hindered, if it's put under a basket or tucked away in a back room, its potency is never really fully realized. Its power is diminished in what it's actually able to accomplish. So what Jesus says to the church, he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but the salt has to stay salty and the light has to shine brightly. The light has to stay salty and the light has to shine brightly. The question, of course, is, well, how do you do that? What is Jesus trying to get at? How does salt, how does salt stay salt? How does salt stay what it is? And how does light shine? How does light stay what it is? 
And the question then for the church becomes, well, how does the church be what it is? How does the church become or be ourselves? How is it that we live into this unique identity and mission that Jesus has given us? How do we actually live into that and not step outside of it or live outside of it or in some way lose our saltiness or hide our lights? Let's start with this idea of staying salty. Jesus is not talking about, you know, staying bitter and rude and uh, that definition of staying salty. That's easy for us. This is a different conversation Jesus is having. The Greek word here, uh, it fundamentally means if salt loses its, its tastiness, if something becomes tasteless. The word, though, can also mean to become foolish, to become tasteless, or to become foolish. Jesus uses the adjective form of the word at the very end of the sermon. He wraps up his entire sermon using the kind of adjective form of this word for the first time. He uses it here and then he uses it here and creates this bracket. It's the parable that he has about two builders. It says, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and they beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it was firmly set on the rock, on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will become like a fool who built a house on sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and was completely destroyed." Jesus says the wise person, the salty one, is the one who hears the words of Jesus and actually puts them into practice, actually learns to follow the way of Jesus in their life. But the foolish person, the one who has lost their saltiness, is the one who hears the words of God, who knows the words of God, who can recite the words of God, who may be able to say, yeah, yeah, I heard that thing that Jesus said that one time, may even have bumper stickers on their car or magnets on their fridge, but doesn't make any effort to follow that whatsoever. He says, oh yeah, I know that. And this person said this, and this person said this, and wasn't it nice that that was said? The way that the church maintains our distinctiveness is through discipleship. That's how we maintain our distinctiveness. It's how we become who we already are. Jesus has pronounced that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the way that we actually become what we already are is through discipleship, through learning to build our entire lives on the teachings of Jesus and practicing them in every way. The church is distinguished by our obedience, or you could say by our allegiance to Jesus. That's how we're distinguished. It's what makes us salty. We do this, of course, through the empowering spirit of God. And because Jesus has come, because he has graced us in every way, because he has redeemed us and restored us and called us and given us his teachings and filled us with the spirit, which actually enables us to learn to live these things out. Because the spirit of God is in us, we learn to live our lives in a different way. We learn to tell a different story. We learn to dance and sing to a different song. We learn what it means to integrate the teachings of Jesus into every area of our lives. 
So what about the light? What is Jesus trying to get at there? Before Jesus declares that the church is the light of the world, Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he declares that Jesus is the great light that shines on those walking in the darkness. It's Matthew's way of getting at the sense that because the Lord shines on us, we now have light to reflect on other people. Like the moon, our light is only a borrowed light that comes from our proximity and relationship to Jesus. Matthew specifically says is the way that we reflect the light of Jesus into the world is by doing good for others. Matthew 5 says this, in the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do. Why is it that they'll pat you on the back and say, yeah, well done, you're awesome. No, that they actually might observe your life and the way that you live and the good things that you do and say, wait a second, praise God, thank God for that person. Thank God for that church. Thank God for that meal group. Thank God for that team. Thank God for those who are willing to give their lives and their time and their resources to show up in these places. They might praise your father who is in heaven. So when we follow the way of Jesus, when we follow the teachings of Jesus, we actually align ourselves with him. We live in his light and then reflect his light to the world through the way that we live, through the good deeds that actually come in walking in the way of Jesus. So the church is recognized in our service to others. It's distinguished by our obedience to Jesus and recognized in our service to others. Pastor Ken has this great line he uses sometimes. He says, the church should never, serve to be, uh, should never serve to be seen, but should be seen serving. That this is meant to be our lives, doing good things for other people. Again, through the empowering spirits of God. It's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus leads us into a life of love a life of service, a life of doing good, a life of looking how we care for and help and encourage and serve other people in Jesus's name that we and they might give glory to God. This is the very mission, the very vocation of the church to live the way of Jesus and to do the works of Jesus in our lives. To live the way of Jesus as his, as his disciples and to do the very works of Jesus in our everyday lives, in our lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and anywhere and everywhere that we find ourselves. What does it mean for us to be obedient to Jesus here? And how is it that we do good for others that they might see and glorify our God in heaven? N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, your task is to find the symbolic ways of doing things differently, of planting flags in hostile soil and setting up signposts that say, there's a different way to be human. There is a different way and it's the Jesus way. And so for us, the invitation in every moment of our lives is to stop and to pay attention to the spirit of God. They say, Jesus, where are you teaching me to follow you right now? How are you teaching me? What area of my life might be a bit misaligned from your teachings and you're wanting to teach me and help me and show me 
how to come in alignment with you? And how is it through my relationship with you, your grace at work in my life, that you might actually use the ordinary everyday things that I do to be a blessing, to be a gift, to be a grace, to be a service, to be an act of love, to be a good thing in someone else's life. And so if you're single, maybe the questions are, how do you enrich the community that you have? How do you give and receive hospitality, not just among singles, but amongst everyone? How do you practice holiness? How do you cultivate joy? If you're dating or engaged, how do you dignify the other person in this relationship? How are you going about learning their story and honoring their body and safeguarding their emotions as well as yours? If you're married, how are you striving for unity and while celebrating your differences and championing one another's callings and welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit in your life through that other person? If you're a parent or grandparents or foster parents, how are you delighting in your children? Prioritizing them, listening to them, and guiding them into God's story, helping them find their place within it. If you're a roommate or a friend or a sibling, how are you developing genuinely, genuine spiritual friendships? How are you living out a brotherly, sisterly kind of life with one another that is sustained by ongoing curiosity and by forgiving one another when expectations aren't met and when disappointments come? If you work in engineering or in architecture or design or in the arts, how are you bringing together beauty and simplicity, order and truth? If you work in the corporate world, in business or in finance, how do you value people and profits? How are you promoting simplicity and demonstrating generosity and insisting on honesty? If you work in social services or in criminal justice, how do you exhibit mercy and seek justice? How do you enact compassion and discipline while also protecting dignity and recognizing the humanity in everyone? If you work at home or from home or in the household, how do you express creativity and hospitality? How do you make your home or your minivan a house of prayer or a carpool of prayer? If you work in medicine or fitness or nutrition, how do you help people redefine health and strength and beauty, and how do you care for people in the midst of depersonalizing practices and policies? If you study or you teach, how do you connect knowledge to practice, education to service? How do you generate gratitude and discipline in the midst of both entitlement and apathy? How do you do those things? If you're retired, how do you continue to direct your abilities and your resources and your time to the common good of all of those you're in community with? In whatever you do, how are you practicing the way of Jesus and doing good for others? In other words, how do you stay salty and shine brightly in the life that God has given you? Because it's in that life, it's in your life that the kingdom has come, and it's in and through your life that the kingdom wants to work. In and through our ordinary, everyday lives and the places that God has set us. Friends, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is yours. You belong 
And not only is the kingdom coming to you, but the kingdom wants to work through you. The kingdom wants to work through every single one of us, individually and collectively. You belong and you have significance. You matter in the kingdom. As the worship team and Sarah come up to lead us to communion, I want us to take just a moment right now, just be pause and just pause before the Lord and be willing to ask him that question. Jesus, where are you teaching me obedience right now? And Holy Spirit, how are you helping me to learn how to live in a different way? Knowing that it's not just a, a one time, like we got the lesson and now we've got it figured out, but it's a life of ongoing prayer and repentance and seeking mercy and help and learning, trying, and coming back to the spirit and asking him to help us live differently. Spirit of God, how are you teaching us to follow the way of Jesus? And then secondly, Jesus, where are the opportunities to do good in my life? Who are the people that you are calling me to do good for? And what might that look like this week? What might it look like for me to do good for my roommate or my spouse or my friend or my coworker or my sibling, my parents, my grandparents, my neighbor, the person that really annoys me? <laughs> what might I look like to do good? And how with my whole life, with all my gifts and all my passions, with the work that you've given me to do, how can it be a signpost for your kingdom? How can by your spirit you help me plant a flag in hostile soil and say there's a different way? It's the way of Jesus. In order to stay salty and shine brightly, we, we need the grace of Jesus over and over and over again. And so that's why we come to the table every week. We come as uh, those who are needy, who are desperate for the grace of Jesus, because this is Jesus's table. All who believe that Jesus is the true King, that we live inside of his kingdom, are welcome to receive here, regardless of your church background or affiliation. And if you don't believe as we believe, thank you for choosing to spend this morning, this Sunday morning with us. We're honored that you're here and we encourage you um, to keep coming. We hope that you'll keep coming and keep asking questions about this Jesus. However, if you are ready to believe in Jesus and follow his teachings, we invite you to join us as we confess our sin and, and ask for new mercy for forgiveness, and we place our trust in him again. Would you pray with me? The words are on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. 
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, would you have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Friends, it is my joy this morning to announce some good news to us. Words that are true, not because I'm saying them, but just because of what God has done for us. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this is what proves that God loves us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. May your good works bring out the God flavors and God colors of this world. Friends, Jesus is here. Would you lift up your hearts? Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right, let's give him thanks. God, it is a good and joyful thing actually to give thanks to you, almighty God, because you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. And when we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that Jesus was gonna be handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And after he had blessed it and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Would you take this and eat it in remembrance of me? And after the supper was over, he took the cup of wine. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this remembering me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen and Christ will come again. All of us who are in Christ are part of a priesthood of all believers. So would you be willing to stretch out your hands toward these elements and bless them with me? God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine? Would you make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ? 
that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood and by your spirit, would you make us one with Jesus and one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory and we see him face to face, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers to come up now. These are the gifts of God and they are given for us, the people of God. So when you receive them, receive them giving thanks with faith, knowing that Christ died for you and loves you. In just a moment, we're gonna come forward to receive. Um, beginning in each section, you're going to, everyone who's able will exit to your left, come to the front. Um, and if you're in the balcony, you can come down and join this section on the right, or there should be some elements on, on the table near the entrance. If you're unable to come forward, please ask those around you maybe to bring some elements back for you. Um, there's gonna be two stations here. You can go back and forth. Um, if you're not able, or if you're, come, if you're not receiving this morning, go ahead and come forward just so no one trips over you, but you're welcome to pass the servers by and um, go back to your seat. I think I forgot um, the passing of the peace to one another. So I'm wondering if we could do this. We are, we are a community that seeks to bless one another, to speak encouragement and life to one another. We so often receive words that are harmful to us, that, that destroy the dignity and humanity and the image of God that Christ put in us. So after or as you're receiving today, I encourage you to look around you, to say hello to people, to um, pass the peace of Christ to one another. But as you do, would you, would you be willing to just speak a word of blessing? It can be as simple as, I bless you in the name of Christ. Have a, have a good week. Or you could say something, if you know that person, say something to them to specifically, this is what I see in you. This is, this is the saltiness that I see in you. Or this is the way that I see God in you. Um, would you be willing to do that this morning as we worship together? Um, as you come, the first server, you can take a napkin from the dispensers. The first server is gonna put a gluten-free cracker in your hand um, after they dip it in a cup of non-alcoholic wine and you can receive right then and there or you can um, take it back to your seats. And I think I mentioned there are some prepackaged elements as well. <sighs> Did I get everything? <laughs> I hope so. All right, so we're receiving the grace of Christ this morning through these simple elements. And then we're returning to our seats to bless one another, to speak words of life and encouragement to one another. All right, let's continue worshiping. <laughs> 